0: My review of the Ecobee 3 and a conversation with Stuart Lombard of Ecobee. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm really excited to have my guest today, Stuart Lombard, the CEO of Ecobee. Many of you who have ventured into the smart home, put a toe in the water, uh, Probably have a smart thermostat. You may have a Nest. There's a lot of those out there. But many of you are getting Ecobees. Their Ecobee Three is actually flying on off shelves, uh, very popular. If you look at the the Momentum it has on Amazon, for example, you can see that it's it's fairly popular. So I'm going to talk about that. Before I do, though, I just wanted to catch up on just a couple items of news, and then maybe do a quick kind of review. Although I don't really do reviews. Although I'm going to be doing more of these not reviews in the future of smart home devices. Because I'm getting a lot of them, I know that some people have asked me my opinion of certain ones and how uh, what I think of them. So I actually have an ecob 3. I want to talk a little bit about that and the installation process. And I'll be doing that a little bit more as some of the podcasts come out in the future. So uh, I thought that'd be great to do before my conversation, before you hear my conversation with Stuart. Real quickly, let's do some catch-up on the news. It's been a while since I've cut up on that. Uh, very briefly, there's a few interesting stories over the past few weeks that I think I just want to mention, at least talk about, on the podcast for those you want to get a feel for what's going on in the smart home space one of them was there was actually a story last weekend about Google heading into IoT creating a new platform and it was around the smart kitchen this kind of boggled my mind folks because you know we had this thing called Nest that it seems like Google has gone all in on that $3 billion on, and really was the epicenter of their smart home efforts. So it was a little bit puzzling to me to see this report out of the Times India mentioning that Google would be watching a new IoT platform based on the smart kitchen. As many of you know, I have this fixation with the smart kitchen, uh, so much so that I'm actually starting a new podcast separate from this one, so you guys don't get sick of me talking about it, the smart kitchen podcast, but that'll be out in a few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. But this this report said that the platform will focus on connected kitchens, hooking up things like refrigerators, washing machines and toasters to talk to your phone and with each other. Now I'm a little bit skeptical about this report. In part because it has fairly light sourcing, there's no one really named and that's always a little bit maybe a reason to wonder uh, where they got this if it was truly from someone from Google or is just the rumor mill floating out there. Or if there is some validity to it, why why they would do that? Because there is Nest. Why would they launch a separate platform? It seems a little bit redundant to me. The only reasons I could speculate that they would do something like this, create a, plat, a branch platform, if you will, for the kitchen, is that they don't really have great penetration into the connected appliance market, into connected kitchens, uh, into white goods. They do have a, uh, an integration with the Works with Nest with Whirlpool, but that's really their only one. So, I'm just wondering if they're maybe seeing that Apple's coming out with HomeKit, which I think is going to have a great smart kitchen story, in, in my own personal opinion. Maybe this is their way to kind of penetrate that space a little bit better. The second reason I thought is you know, with Nest, the connectivity options are really centered around thread and Wi Fi. And they don't really have, uh, there isn't a Bluetooth low energy story coming out of Google's Digital Homes. This is one way for them to maybe ramp up their efforts to connect to a lot of devices, that are coming out, quite frankly, with Bluetooth low energy. With Bluetooth mesh coming out in the near future, um, I think that this is going to be an ever more important connectivity network, uh, as you guys have seen some of my writing, if you've heard me talk on the podcast. So that might be another one. But this is something we'll just kind of put a footnote on, and and maybe an asterisk next to saying this is something to watch out for, but we're a little skeptical. The next piece of news is Comcast just this week announced their own smart home and home automation platform. It's interesting to me because they have traditionally been built on, the Xfinity Home has been built on top of iControl, which is a well-known platform that underlies all of the big cable smart home and security networks in the U.S. And so for Comcast to go out and create their wholly own platform that will be there when new smart home devices want to get into the smart home Xfinity Home uh, initiative, they will go and interoperate and make sure they're interoperate with this platform first and foremost. And it's one that really that the, the company says, well, take back the screens, if you will. They take back the user interface. That's a quote uh, directly from their GM. But is this a replacement for iControl? At some level, my initial thoughts are yes. Um, this is not not necessarily great news for iControl long-term. Certainly, iControl is going to stay around. You just can't swap out a platform. If you have an entire... If you have a million subscribers on top of an existing platform, it's hard to just say, okay, we're going to put them on this new one. Secondly, there's... the the iControl is going to continue to be the underlying foundation for security. But what does it mean for the smart home network, the smart home efforts for Comcast? The GM, uh, the manager of the smart home efforts for for Comcast reached out to me and said, uh, his name is Daniel Herkovici, reached out to me and said, quote, iControl continues to be a great partner and they are an important component of our home security and automation strategy iControl continues to power the local within the home automation and security engine of the Comcast platform and drives the cloud-based infrastructure. Comcast orchestrates both of these engines within the Xfinity Xfinity home consumer experience. So basically what he's saying is that iControl c- continues to remain fundamental. And that isn't really that different from my belief. I mean, I, I think that iControl isn't going away within the context of Comcast. They aren't doing away with it, but I do think that over time, this is the first step of Comcast taking back the reins, if you will, owning the platform, owning most of the, the technology over time. Sure, iControl remains fundamental. That's because they have a million subscribers. You can't really do much about that. The hardware in the, these homes have been has been optimized to work with iControl. But what's happening going forward? What's happening a year from now when they install a new Xfinity home automation uh, customer? Will that have an iControl-based engine in there? um, No, two years from now. That's my big question. And so I think it's interesting to watch. And I think it's interesting to note, I do think the long term trend is service providers who are rolling out smart home services and security services, ultimately want to control more of the experience in the platform in any new market. Oftentimes, they'll outsource a lot of it to companies that have the technology today off the shelf. But long term, oftentimes, they develop their own so they can have a differentiated experience and own ultimately more of the revenue. So that's continues to be a belief of mine. And I think this is a sign that that could be happening with Comcast. So we'll keep an eye on that. The next big thing that's happening in smart home that has been happening in smart home, if you've been paying any attention, it's the invasion of the Apple watch. No big surprise, folks. Whenever Apple comes out with a new category, a new product, everyone wants to jump on board. And this is certainly no different. We've been talking, I've been certainly talking about the interaction between wearables and the smart home, they're both under the broader umbrella of the Internet of Things. What does it ultimately mean to bring a, a wearable uh, with a lot of power, with a great user interface, with great connectivity into the smart home? What types of interactions can you create? What types of user interface models can be done? That's the big question. We're starting to finally see some interesting results over time. The first generation of smartwatch apps, uh, Apple watch apps are out um Alarm.com, of course, they had theirs teased on stage by Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. But they're certainly not the only ones. Honeywell and Ecobee have their own Apple Watch apps as well. Lutron and Philips on the on the lighting side have Apple Watch apps. And just this week, we we saw the SmartThings app announced. And there's others coming out, folks. I mean, I expect SmartWatch apps, Apple Watch apps coming out from other companies, you know, the only real bottleneck right now is how fast Apple can approve them and publish, this, publish them. Particularly now that there's hardware, one of the things that people have noted is a lot of the initial Apple Watch apps out of the gate were used or developed using emulators and not necessarily on production hardware. That's because Apple is very particular and very secretive and doesn't necessarily put hardware, early hardware into the folk, into the hands of folks doing development work pre-release. And now that everyone has working production models Uh, models that are out there they can actually test their apps on. I have no doubt that this will be the case that we'll see a a flood of apps in coming months, over the next coming months. Some of these are pretty cool. I think, you know, you can actually go to alarm.com. I think actually has a working prototype online. You can test out some of the interactions you can use. But as you would expect, you get great notifications, alerts uh, around events that happen in your home. But also, there are some interactions. You can actually tap and do commands that set off routines and scenes. For example, the alarm.com app, you saw that actually demoed on stage at the Apple Apple Watch event. But I think over time, you're just going to see more functionality unleashed and kind of un, untapped over, over time. So that's something to keep an eye on. But this is definitely going to be an interesting trend. I have no doubt that the number one wearable in the world in a year from now will be the Apple Watch just because it's Apple. And there's so much excitement about it. Um, but we'll see. I myself just ordered the new Pebble Time. So I'm actually uh, excited to see how Pebble continues to interoperate with the smart home. Um, folks, the wearable world and that smartwatch world isn't only Apple. Pebble just, I think, sold, did $20 million on their Kickstarter campaign for the next generation Pebble. Certainly Android Wear is continuing to mature over time. And Fitbit just filed for an IPO. Maybe because uh, they want to ha- more have more financial horsepower to compete with Apple. But... I have no doubt that the world is not just Apple, but certainly Apple is an important one to keep an eye on. Hey, the last story I want to talk about before we get to my mini review of the EcoB3 is Amazon, the Amazon channel on IFTTT. The Amazon Echo channel just launched last week. And for those of you who have an Amazon Echo who are lucky enough to have gotten one early, because I'm still waiting, folks, The the waiting time from order to delivery, even though I'm a prime customer. Uh, apparently they're, they're, they're not necessarily producing these things all that fast is still, I think in July, I'm expected to get mine. I ordered it a couple months ago. So which to me is kind of crazy, particularly because I know there's other companies out there creating interesting platforms that might have voice control, might be a, an interesting voice control layer. Uh, and so Amazon, I don't know why they're, they're just not moving faster. Um, but they are, they're moving very slow, but the beauty now, uh, with IFTTT, IFTTT channel on Amazon for Amazon Echo is you can use your Amazon Echo to to interoperate and control more devices than ever. You saw just a couple of weeks ago, Amazon announced, Amazon folks announced that the Echo works with Philips Hue and works with Belkin Wemo, but now you can use it to control your Nest or you can control use it to control something like SmartThings. So that's exciting. I mean, really... The magic of IFTTT is just the mix-and-match recipes of devices to other devices when there's no first-party integration Um, and also integrating with all these interesting web apps like Evernote um, with with to-do lists, et cetera. I mean there's just a lot of interesting things you can do. The long-term trend though, I think the big picture for Amazon Echo is there's going to be much more first-party apps built on top and built for the Amazon Echo by these platforms – particularly if they view the Amazon Echo as an interesting voice control engine and kind of uh, user interface for their devices. I do think that some folks may be looking at Amazon a little bit skeptically, wondering what their plans for world domination are. Um, I think that they probably have some level of plans to make the Amazon Echo uh, a, a central control point for a lot of these devices. It depends on how much these other companies want to see controlled Amazon, or if they view Amazon as a threat, and maybe they just, Amazon just wants to collect data on people and, and, and be a commerce layer as well. We'll see. I know I'm rambling here at this point, but I think there's so many interesting possibilities with Amazon Echo. It intrigues me to no end. And we'll keep an eye on what's going on there. Hey, well, that's it for my news catch up. I haven't been doing the weekly news catch-up on podcasts. It's been so busy busy here, folks. If you want to get weekly updates on what's going on in the Smart Home, go to smarthomeweekly.net. Subscribe to my newsletter. I'm actually a better writer than I am a talker, (laughs) as you could tell by that last sentence. But I'm going to continue to do that when I can, and we'll publish those when I can uh, in the podcast. But maybe I'll just start mixing them more in with the interview podcast like I'm doing today. Real quickly, folks, before we get to the interview with Stuart Lombard, the CEO of Ecobee, to talk to us about the Ecobee 3 and the company and the backstory there, what are my thoughts about the Ecobee 3? Well, let me tell you this. It's a beautiful device. It looks great on the wall. What I love about the Ecobee 3 is it looks so much better than the first few Ecobees, uh, the first two generations, and that was on purpose. They they knew that they needed to up their game. When you look at it from a, just a, a hardware and design standpoint, It's it's it looks great. The actually touchscreen user interface and just the the menus, et cetera, are just really intuitive. So they do a great job there. But how was it to install? That's always the question when you get these things. You know, was it a great out-of-box experience? Was it easy to install? And what has it been like since you've been using it? Well, first, the installation... Went fairly smoothly. I will say and will admit that I'm fairly dangerous sometimes when it comes to installing stuff. Uh, I am I know enough to do electrical stuff, as, but I'm not always the quickest. I'm, I'm not one of these ultra gurus that have snap stuff in and seems to work within minutes. Sometimes it takes me a little bit of time, maybe just because I'm slow, or who knows. I will say this, though. Um, when I installed it, I replaced a old thermostat. It was a three-wire thermostat, antiquated, probably almost 20 years old. My house was built in 1994. And so when I pulled it out and looked at the eqb 3, I'm looking at a device that is line powered and doesn't have batteries and requires power from what's called a C wire. Any any of you who have installed your own thermostat knows a little bit about this C wire for the modern thermostat. It's a wire that powers the thermostat with the eqb 3. It doesn't need batteries. It doesn't use backup batteries. It's all powered by line. Unlike uh, like the Nets, which actually has uh, line power, but also has battery backup. This one has a, uh, line power only. And so when I, when I was looking at the instructions, I I realized that I needed to actually have a C wire. And so I was a little bit worried, but when I took, when I was looking at the wiring coming out of the wall, I realized that the people who had built my house 20 years ago were forward thinking enough to actually install a bunch of extra wires, which made it easier for me ultimately to install the Ecobee 3. But I will say this, when I looked at the instructions, the out-of-box experience and the instructions for installing were decent. They're pretty good. But as with everything, every time I install a smart device, oftentimes I will just do a quick Google search and find some video by some guy out there who bought the product early and installs it himself and does his own kind of walkthrough that is oftentimes more informative for someone like myself. And I don't know why this is the case. I don't know why oftentimes there's always people who just do it themselves and create better videos or better instructions. And that was the case with this. I had done a quick Google search, and I found an instruction on how to install my B 3.0 basically by using one of the extra wires and making that the C wire. I will say with the ecob 3, they have what's called the Peak or the Power Extender Kit, which is their way to adapt uh, your wiring system to their thermostat. and allows you to take a, a, an old, a system that was built for an old thermostat and allows you to adapt so you can then have a, essentially a, a C wire. When a C wire is not available, you can use their Peak adapter and then you can make essentially a C wire. Now, I didn't have to use that. Uh, and this is what I realized when I was looking online, that you don't even need to use their power extender kit. If there's extra wires, you could just make one of those, the C wire, and you don't need to use that. So, But they do have an interesting and innovative approach, and it's fairly easy out of the box. I don't mean to say that it isn't. They, and they have this power extender kit that actually makes it easier for a lot of folks to install. So overall, it went in well. I've been using it for a few weeks. I will say that the smartphone control and an app is, is a really nice one. Um, I find myself sitting across the house and not even going to my thermostat and changing the temperature. I know that's extremely lazy of me. I should just get up and get some exercise. But I really think the app is great. That's one of the things I really like about the thermostat. Overall, I would recommend the Ecobee 3. So try it out, folks. If, you have, if you're looking for a smart thermostat, I definitely think it's on par with, with the Nest. So now you've heard my opinion about the Ecobee 3. Um, let's talk to Ecobee. Let's talk to Stuart Lombard, the CEO of Ecobee the CEO of Ecobee, and hear what's going on with the business, what's going on since they've launched Ecobee 3. If you want more information about Ecobee, you can go to ecobee.com. As always, if you want more podcasts, you want more Smart Home shows, you know where to go. Go to technology.fm. You can also find them on your favorite podcast app. If you have a podcast app, just look for The Smart Home Show and uh, subscribe if you haven't already. I'd appreciate it. All right, folks, without further ado, here's my conversation with Stuart Lombard of Ecobee. You guys actually started shipping the Ecobee 3, I think, in, was it fall of last year? How are things going with, with that versus the previous generations?
1: Things are going really, really well. So we're, you know, we're really excited with the the customer response. Um, you know, we've, we've had really great uh, feedback on the sensors, which are, you know, the biggest differentiator of this product and, and other products in the market. And so the idea really is that, you know, typically your thermostat's installed in your hallway, and you don't live in your hallway. So it might be comfortable in your hallway, but, but you know, you live in your family room or in your bedroom or in a study or something like that. And so, you know, we say this thermostat is, you know, for homes with more than one room. And you can take these sensors and, and put them around your house. And we detect occupancy. And so, you know, when we detect where you are, we'll use those sensors to actually better control the temperature in your house and make sure you're comfortable in the room that you actually use. And, and um, you know, it's... It's just been really, really exciting. The customer feedback has been fantastic. I think the you know reviews on Amazon.com and Apple.com and and Best Buy.com you know have been phenomenal.
0: Talk about that, because I was surprised that there aren't you know the other guys haven't uh, done that. I mean, it just makes makes so much sense to me that you have sensors in the different rooms and connect to that to kind of understand what the different zones are. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting is, you know, every HVAC system, is, there's so many different HVAC systems in the market. A lot of them don't necessarily have the ability to control temperature by room. So how are you using this to uh, adapt to all the different varieties of HVAC systems out there? Sure.
1: So, you know, the system doesn't replace a full zoning system. But a full zoning system, you know, costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, But what we do is is essentially, you know, understand the rooms that that you're in, and then we we automate what a lot of customers do manually, right? So, you know, you hear from customers, well, when I go watch a movie, I, you know, I turn up the temperature a few degrees, and then when I'm done, I, you know, turn it back down, as an example. Well, with sensor technology, we can do that automatically. And so, you know, the entire um, temperature in your house might go up a little bit or might go down a little bit but overall you're going to be more comfortable in the rooms that you are. And then there's a sophisticated um, weighting algorithm that understands which sensors are in rooms that are occupied and weights those accordingly to make sure that you're comfortable but that you don't have you know, drastic changes in temperature. Um, and then the other really nice thing that we can do is because um, we have more than one sensor detecting occupancy, um, we can do a much better job of turning down your equipment when nobody's home. And we have a really smart way of doing that as well, which is to use outdoor weather. And so rather than just saying, hey, you know, when you're away, we're just going to turn down your temperature, let's say by, you know, four degrees, we actually turn it down by amount that's variable with the outdoor weather so that when you come back home, you're not going to be uncomfortable when you get back home. Um, it's really a function of outdoor weather. So there's some really, really cool things that uh, that we do with those algorithms.
0: You know, one of the other differentiators with you and the EcoBee 3 versus the other guys is you have – um, your your peak adapter. The other ones are battery operated, battery operated, and they also uh, are what they call power stealing type thermostats. So explain those differences and why you think yours your approach is better. Sure. So I think you know the main difference
1: is around reliability, and I think you know because it's your heating and cooling system. Um, certainly, you know in winter climates, you don't want your pipes to freeze. Um, reliability is you know is at a premium, and so there are really two different ways of of powering a thermostat. The first is using power stealing, which essentially uses the circuit between your thermostat and your furnace or your air handler. And you can trickle a little bit of power through that circuit without turning the equipment on. Um, It's a real challenge, though, because you can only steal a little bit of power. And if you steal too much, you turn the equipment on, which is not good, because you're turning it on when you don't want to. Or if you don't steal enough, then you can't steal enough power to power the thermostat. Your battery ends up dying. Your thermostat dies, and you know if it's wintertime, your pipes will freeze. Um, and in our analysis, that fails in about two to eight percent of customer cases. And so we felt that it was just not reliable. And and you know that's what you would see in a product like uh, you know Honeywell or or the Honeywell Lyric or the Nest, as an example. Um, we use a technology called our Power Extender Kit, where we essentially multiplex two signals onto one wire, um, and that creates an extra wire which you can then use to power your thermostat from your furnace or your air handler. It's all low voltage. Uh, every furnace or air handler has 24 volts. Um, but the upside of that is you have, you know, hardwired connected power all the time. And it results, we believe, in a much more reliable operation.
0: When I installed mine, I, I actually lacked a, a, an extra, or my thermostat didn't use a C-wire, as most old ones don't, but I had to use a C-wire with yours. Luckily, I had an extra wire that I could use. But it made me think that you know some folks may have some challenges installing, although you guys do a great job with your 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 explanation, your out-of the box experience. Do you know how many people or do you have any feel for how many people install their own versus using a professional installer or an electrician? Sure. so it's about
1: sixty uh, percent of our users uh, are self-installed, got it, and about
0: 40 percent are uh, you know professionally installed. And what are your thoughts of it's pretty easy. Yeah, it is pretty easy, but I do think uh, that there's a gap in the market for people who don't necessarily want to touch that. So I think, you know, great out of the box experiences design takes you a long way. But things like Amazon Home Services, I think, is important. So what are your thoughts on some of these marketplaces? Uh, even things like uh, folks like Porsche.com, for example, those types of services to allow f- those consumers who don't want to DIY it. Is that an important aspect of your business as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in our research, you know, there are different kinds of customers. There's the DIY customer and there's the do-it-for-me customer. And I think, you know, generally speaking, those two groups, you know, they, they self-select and, and it doesn't matter what the product is or, or how much you try to convince them that, you know, it's either easy or, you know, it's easy, you can do it yourself or, you know, have it professionally installed. Customers want to interact with your product and have it installed the way they want to have it installed. And so I think things like, you know, Amazon's uh you know professional services, home services marketplace are, are fantastic. Um, certainly our heating and cooling service channel partners have been fantastic for us. Um, it's a great way to get done. You know that it gets professionally installed and that it's going to work. And usually those um, contractors stand behind the work. They warranty it as you know the installation as as, as part of their their service. Um, and then I think you know, as you said, you know, we also strive to make you know significant advances to make sure that that out of box experience is as easy as it can be, and the installation process is as easy as it can be. But we fully understand that some people will say, you know what, I
0: just don't want to mess with it. Certainly, these products, in the EcoBee three uh, products like them, can find their ways into the houses in a variety of different channels. Particularly three. Um, people could buy it over retail online or in brick and mortar, but there's also the professional store and the utility channel. And, you know, how does it break down for you? And how are those trending over time? Are you seeing one of those channels grow faster than the other?
1: Sure. So I think, you know, for, for ecobee specifically the, you know, the retail channel, which is, which is new to us with ecobee three, um, and the utility channel have been, you know, absolutely growing the fastest. Um, and I think, you know, from a utility perspective, um, because they have to provide for uh, peak power and they have to build infrastructure for peak power, um, they are highly incentive to get people to conserve during those peak periods. So, just by way of example, you know, a utility might either build or hire a you know generation facility or might build transmission infrastructure, but they might only need 70 or 100 hours a year. And so from that perspective, their asset utilization can, can be quite inefficient. And so if they can get you to conserve, if they can pay you to conserve, um, that has a huge impact on their economics. And so the way we interact with utilities, I think, is going to change from a model where, you know, every month a bill comes in your door and you pay them to a model where you will still pay them for electricity, but they will now pay you to conserve. Um, and so, with a lot of our utility programs, they're based really along those lines, and, and we see that as a uh, you know really dynamic way of uh, of people you know engaging with their utility, you know, bringing their uh, their bills down, um, but also helping to you know provide more reliable power for their entire community.
0: Talk a little bit about solar over time. Solar becomes interesting. Um, we talked a little bit also about this idea of home uh, storage of energy with with batteries. Talk about how you think that could be a game changer so you know on the on the um on the solar, I mean solar, I think is great, but I
1: think you know a lot of times people you know say thermostat' oh, you know what's the impact? And I think you know one of the reasons we started the company was because better managing your heating and cooling can have a huge impact. and so my twenty six thousand dollars worth of solar panels produce as much energy as my two hundred dollars Ecobee saves me every year. Um, and that kind of puts, you know, the what you can do with a product like ours um, in terms of, you know, energy. And then I think, you know, back to our previous conversation around, you know, utilities and peak demand and building all this infrastructure that they might only use, you know, let's say less than 100 hours a year. Um, something like storage can definitely go a long, long way in um, alleviating the need for utilities to build. Um, that extra infrastructure that they might only use, you know, tens of hours a year. Um, And if you can use storage to allow you to coast through some of those peak periods, um, you know, that's a huge win for utilities. And and certainly as the economics of um, storage come down, and and it'd be really interesting to see what happens to the battery economics coming out of the new, you know, Tesla gigafactory. Um, You know, but I think, you know, and certainly you're seeing on, on the solar side, You know, solar, um, you know, getting very close to grid parity on a cost basis. Um, You know, there's some really, really interesting opportunities in energy, and and the market is going to be, I think, very dynamic over the next uh, five or six years.
0: Ecobee was one of the first smart home companies to release an Apple Watch app, and it's only been a few days, but any early kind of indicators on how that's going? Oh, it's really exciting. It's just it's, uh, it's just really exciting. It, we launched the app uh, with the uh,
1: Apple Watch launch on the 24th, and, um, you know, we've had a ton of downloads. People are super excited about it, and it is, you know, it's just really really fun to be able to, you know, glance at your wrist and, and see what the temperature is in your home or, you know, make a quick change on your thermostat. Um, you know, it's it's interesting in terms of usage. About half our customers use our mobile app when they're, you know, away from home and they want to, you know, change the temperature back at home or check on their, their thermostat at home. But half of them use it when they're on the couch. Um, and so, you know, the Apple Watch just makes either of those experiences, you know, so much easier and and faster. Um, and so it's just really fun to see, and the uptake has been uh, has been phenomenal.
0: Clearly, we're early on with Apple's efforts there, but I would imagine over time we'll see, uh, you know, more of the capabilities uh integration with Smart Home become more apparent, obviously, as HomeKit's launched more formally later this year. Any thoughts on how, you know, a wearable could be used within the home within regards to the HVAC system and interacting with it? You know, some of the things you think could be compelling feature sets over time?
1: I mean, I think the main thing is that, you know, we understand that our customers uh, are busy right? They've got, you know, soccer games to get to, they've got kids to pick up at school, they've got busy careers, you know, they've got laundry to do. And so, um, you know, they've got, you know, they're super busy. And, and, and really what we try and focus on is how do we make our customers' lives simpler and better? And I think, you know, one of the greatest things about, you know, that Apple Watch experience is, you know, it turns, it just reduces friction. And reducing friction in, in you know, my busy day-to-day life, is a huge value proposition. And so, um, you know, I think there's lots of great stuff coming. Um, but I think the, you know, our biggest focus is how do we make
0: customers lives simpler and better? All right, Stuart, where can people find more information about ecobee? Ecobee Ecobee.com? Is that the place to send them? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, www.ecobee.com.
0: Hey, thanks for spending time with me. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, that was my conversation with Stuart Lombard. I hope you learned a little bit about what's going on over at Ecobee. If you're curious about the smart thermostat market, I hope you also enjoyed at least my conversation about my own. So check them out. Go to Ecobee.com. As always, subscribe to The Smart Home Show by going to technology.fm or just looking for us in your favorite podcast spaces. All right, folks, that's it. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.